Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll hear from the CEO of a company who has a key role in investigating the quality and safety of many of the medications that are being dispensed. They have spoken uh, on Capitol Hill in regards to medication safety and quality. I have been interviewed in numerous publications and have played a key role in some of the big recalls that have been happening this spring. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is David Light, who is the founder and CEO of Valisure. David is a biotech entrepreneur and scientist with over 10 years of broad experience in the field. A graduate of Yale University, David studied molecular biology and has worked in a variety of scientific and business roles at startups like Synthetic Genomics, Ion Torrent, and Valisure. At Ion Torrent, David developed key technologies that directly led to the semiconductor DNA sequencing company's $725 million acquisition and ran its flagship technology programs through development and global commercialization. And as founder and CEO of Valisher, an online pharmacy that is attached to an analytical laboratory where all medications are chemically validated before being dispensed to consumers, David helped to found, fund, and invent the core technology. He's been named inventor on numerous patents published in journals, including Nature, and the cover of Electrophoresis has been invited to submit testimony at congressional hearings, as well as speak at the U.S. Capitol building on the introduction of critical bills regarding medication safety and quality. David has been quoted in numerous publications, including Bloomberg, Bloomberg, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and CBS Evening News. He also sits on the boards of nonprofits supporting criminal justice reform and bolstering the local community. He's very passionate about entrepreneurship and improving public health. Well, David, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we are are excited to learn more. So, um, we, you know, you've you've got this this pharmacy, an analytical pharmacy that is chemically testing every batch of medication uh, and supplement that you sell. And I know that all of our listeners hopefully have seen the universal recall of ranitidine, both the RX and OTC that happened in the beginning of April. And I know we're excited to learn more details about that and how Valisher played a role in identifying some of those carcinogens in it. So let's first kind of dig in a bit more. Um, what is Valashore and how and why did you get started with that company? So Valashore at the highest level is an online pharmacy that's attached to an analytical laboratory. So really we're the first pharmacy ever online or not that is chemically analyzing samples from every single batch of every single medication 
And those that pass, we dispense direct to patients, not just with a brand, but with a certificate of analysis very similar to nutritional information on food. Uh, you know, the reality is that uh, you know, 90% of all the drugs being dispensed are generics, and about 80% of all the ingredients in our drugs in the United States are manufactured in India or China. And all that, you know, uh, patients and usually pharmacists uh, know about those medications is that they go into an orange bottle. And, uh, you know, there just really isn't that much transparency into drug quality. And there's actually about three drug recalls a day in the United States, some of which get particularly famous, uh, like uh, with uh, Zantac and ranitidine. But uh, as, as a whole, you know, we're really focused on uh, improving and helping to ensure that the safety, quality, and transparency in drug products. Yeah. So, so let's kind of stop there. How did you guys know, like, oh, it, it would be really helpful to have a lab attached to this pharmacy? Because, you know, a lot of times um, people are taking their medicine. They don't really know that, you know, there's any that, you know, they don't really know where it's made or where it came from. Um, they're, they just go to the pharmacy, pick it up. And, um, you know, when the FDA approves generics, um, they have to meet certain criteria, but, uh, you're exactly right. There is a little bit of variation in batch to batch. So what kind of triggered that, um, I guess, need to, to, to really look at the quality and safety? Well, actually, Valisher started when a good friend of mine named Adam Clark Joseph, uh, we were friends from college, uh, called me up one day and was telling me about all these problems he was having with his own anticonvulsant medications. And essentially, he's you know, refilled it every month for many years of his life. And every once in a while, he'd have this month where he'd just feel terrible, you know, get all these side effects and relapses sometimes. And he talked to his doctors and his doctors were telling him you know, exactly what you're saying that, hey, look, there's variability in medications. There's uh, not a whole lot we can do about it as doctors or, or pharmacists. And it just kind of is what it is. So he obviously didn't like that answer and uh, called me up, you know, from the technology development world. I've been in the biotech industry uh, uh, most of my career. And uh, we, we started to put our heads together uh, and really look deeper into the problem. And, and when you actually read this, even the scientific literature out there, there's a lot of studies about you know, issues between brand and generic or even generic to generic substitutions. Uh, especially in areas like uh, epileptic medications, uh, you know, anything that's affecting the brain, psychotropic drugs, uh, neurotherapeutic index drugs, uh, there tends to be quite a bit of literature. Uh, we even found this Harvard Medical School study with almost 2,000 patients that showed simply the act of refilling your medications, even the lot-to-lot -lot variability, um, was associated with an over two-fold increased chance of getting a seizure. And uh, this for anti-epileptic uh, drugs. And so it really kind of cemented for us that something should be done. And, you know, when you're a hammer, all the solutions look like nails. So we, we thought this was a technology issue coming from technology development. And uh, we, we spent a number of years of our own time, money and energy developing core technology to be able to do this kind of analysis much faster, easier, cheaper, but at very high levels of precision. And uh, once we, we put it together, filed the patents, got accreditation from the International Organization on Standardization, we went to the industry, the big 
you know, supply chain players and uh, told them, hey, we have this option for additional quality assurance. And they all came back and told us the same story, which was, yeah, you know, we know there's problems in, in the pharma supply chain. And, and honestly, those problems are getting worse, but hmm. it's not our problem. Mm-hmm. It's always somebody else's problem. And you have this $2 trillion global supply chain that is very easy to point the figure in any direction you want. And nobody really wanting to take that uh, that additional accountability. And, you know, also to your point of, hey, it's FDA approved, therefore, you know, must be perfect, um, obviously is not true. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the recalls and the issues that are becoming more visible. So long story short, we decided to take the, the laboratory technology that we already built and then attach it to a pharmacy so we can actually bring this value of, of a certified, you know, validated uh, batches of medications direct to patients. And uh, we launched that at the end of 2018. I've uh, made some pretty big waves and, and uh, the issues with Zantac and Renidine was uh, our discovery, um, obviously had a lot of big, big impact there. And uh, we're actually focusing more and more now in uh, attaching and infusing this value and, and also our core competency of quality assurance medications into existing health systems and pharmacy networks. And, uh, you know, we, we really see this as, as a high level issue that we've become experts in on the quality assurance side and want to plug that into the healthcare system as a whole. Yeah, interesting. So, so yeah, you mentioned neurotherapeutic index drugs, and and I think most of our listeners, that's probably where their mind went because you know that's that's what we're most familiar with. Um, the you know like lithium or warfarin or um, levothyroxine uh, drugs like that. That um, it, it, there is significant difference when you go f- even from a brand to generic, but you often don't hear, or sometimes you'll have some patients that'll say, I want the white pill or I need the the blue pill um, because they know it's from a certain manufacturer and, um, and they're used to taking it like that. Um, so very, very interesting. Um, and uh, so so you kind of mentioned, um, so pharma, you kind of took that to them and, and they haven't necessarily opted in. Are you mainly targeting patients that just want that extra level of assurance or are you kind of going through the route of like health systems and physicians, probably those physicians that, you know, once a patient has a transplant, um, that, that really becomes very, very, very important. Um, they've just had this really expensive procedure. And then, um, you know, you hear a lot of times that physicians are very particular about what type of, um, brand or or medication that patients get on. Tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, kind of who is, is really looking for this extra quality level? Yeah. So uh, the, the additional quality assurance in medication, you know, you'd think is something that is uh, universally beneficial. Um, but of course, in certain areas, it resonates faster and, and uh, has an even deeper impact. And, you know, we, we at Valisher started off a getting this direct to patients and, and patients uh, particularly that have the greatest concerns, as, as you, you know, point out, are often those taking neurotherapeutic index drugs or drugs that, that get into the news a lot for all sorts of issues like 
and the blood pressure medication uh, drugs, the angiotensin receptor blockers, uh, valsartan, losartan. Um, you know, now there's obviously uh, what we found on, on Zantac and ranitidine or the H2 blockers, uh, metformin's being discussed now. Um, but any of these is uh, areas of high engagement and, and where we've done a, a lot of starting off in, in terms of the company. Um, however, uh, we're really seeing a lot of the engagement uh, also, as you've predicted, from practitioners, uh, you know, prescribers, uh, nurses, doctors, and healthcare systems. I mean, healthcare systems really see these as very broad issues that impact them in a variety of different ways. Um, and, you know, you have um, uh, you know, books like um, the uh, a, a bottle of lies by Catherine Eben. I mean, there's an mm-hmm. entire there's a number of chapters in there uh, with uh, professionals from the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, uh, you know, doctors, uh, some of their top doctors talking about it, exactly those kinds of situations where they have uh, a million dollars worth of operations that that went to a heart transplant, and then they're concerned about their generic uh, drugs that, that that they're taking to uh, to make sure that they don't reject uh, that heart. Um, and, uh, I think institutions like that, uh, that have a lot of professionals that have been very concerned about these issues for a while, um, are also becoming very engaged and, and, you know, not only is it protecting that patient and all that work that went into them, uh, there's, there's many layers of, of problems when you have these big drug quality issues. Uh, you have these big recalls that can affect obviously the pharmacy, a lot of operational costs and, you know, uh, I'm sure you have plenty of pharmacist listeners that went through all the, the, the ARB uh, fiascos and, and the, the Zantac and Renitidine fiascos. And there's a lot of just operational time and energy that gets put into that, which, which has a price tag to it. Um, and then beyond that, all the, you know, the doctors and practitioners that are part of these health systems are spending hours on the phones and with thousands of patients that are concerned and having to change around medications. And also as patients lose trust in the medications, they become less adherent uh, on all the medication problems that are or all the health problems that get associated with non-adherence. Um, and then and now if they're winding back up in the hospital, they get dinged for readmissions. Um, so yeah, this, there's a very broad impact to these medication quality problems. And I think part of the reason that we're starting to see a lot of this engagement, not just from patients, but from the doctors and healthcare systems that are, that are paying and are being impacted by these problems. And, uh, and I, I think it's only going to grow from there. You know, we're, uh, there's many factors out there that are trying to do the right thing. And, um, you know, even in the case of ranitidine, uh, you know, we informed uh, the FDA of, of the original p- problems that we saw with ranitidine being an inherently unstable drug that directly forms the carcinogen NDMA um, you know, back in June of last year. And then we filed an FDA citizen petition with detailed data uh, and a request to recall the drug entirely in September of last year. Um, it wasn't until this April, just a couple weeks ago, uh, that there was an official announcement by the FDA to actually recall the products uh, due to the fact that the drug is unstable. So really underscoring the data that we'd shown the entire time. Um, however, even back in September, um, you had drug companies that were recalling their products. Uh, There's uh, dozens of countries banned it uh, throughout, uh, uh, through all distribution. Uh, Canada did it four days later after that initial announcement in September. 
Um, and uh, Novartis and Sandoz uh, recalled their products throughout Canada as part of that even initial uh, announcement by Canada. Um, so I think there are a lot of responsible players out there that uh, are engaged with this issue and and want to do more on quality assurance and medication. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because it's they these meds are widely used, um, and even the the metformin that um, you know there's just so many people on. Uh, metformin for, for diabetes, it's first line therapy. So, um, it's amazing to see that. Um, so it's, it's good that, uh, that there's, you know, discovery that's happening, um, you know, and, and definitely, uh, companies like you, um, you know, books like bottle of lies, uh, by Catherine Eban and, and China RX by Rosemary Gibson are shedding some light on this. Uh, so we are seeing, uh, some attention coming, um, at the federal level. Uh, so we, yeah, we, we're in a, a very interesting time, uh, right now with, uh, the coronavirus and, um, what are some of the things that Valisher is doing, uh, in response to, uh, that? Yeah, from the pharmacy side on the COVID crisis, obviously we're trying to stay on top of all these drug shortages and, and drug rationing that's going on, um, particularly with drugs like uh, hydroxychloroquine um, that, that are being kind of touted as potential treatments. Um, I think it's obviously going to take some time before all the, the clinical data really comes out on these, but uh, the facts are that they're extremely high in demand drugs, um, and uh, we're, we're trying as best as we can to, to have it uh, in stock. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, to the previous discussion on health systems and uh, the, the greater concern over quality, uh, we actually recently announced a program where we're offering analysis of hydroxychloroquine for healthcare systems at no cost. So, you know, for their own pharmacies and their own systems, um, if they're sending us samples, uh, we're, we're analyzing those and, and sending back the data at, uh, for no fees. And um, we've been hearing a lot. You know, we did this in response to a number of, of professionals that are reaching out to us and saying, listen, you know, especially in this drug, demand's gone up through the roof. Uh, there's reports of counterfeiting. Um, there are obviously a lot of incentive for that. There's also prices have gone up. And, uh, you know, the, the FDA has, has approved uh, manufacturers uh, that were previously banned just so that we can get more of this drug into the United States. Uh, obviously, uh, in, in these trying times of the COVID crisis, uh, you know, the FDA has uh, dramatically reduced and often halted even, uh, the, the inspections that, the, that they do, which are already uh, somewhat limited in nature. You know, a lot of people don't realize that an FDA inspection overseas uh, is almost always announced, you know, so they get a month or two of heads up before uh, they're even inspected. And yet they still fail, you know, one out of five inspections in, in India and one out of 10 in China. Um, so a lot of reasons that uh, systems, uh, healthcare systems are particularly concerned at this time. And so, uh, yeah, in response to that specifically, we, we've actually been uh, trying to help uh, a number of systems uh, by uh, an analyzing samples of their hydroxychloroquine. 
Yeah. So David, what about, are are you guys doing anything with, with compounding or analyzing compounded meds? I know that that's um, probably to keep up with some of the supply. uh, We are seeing some pharmacies that are doing compounding. Just didn't know if that was something that you guys also look at or if it's, if it's mainly any of the uh, pharmaceutical grade drugs that you're getting into your pharmacy from different manufacturers? So that's a great question. The, uh, the FDA has also altered some of its rules around compounding during, specifically during the COVID crisis, and uh, definitely an area of, therefore, additional uh, concern uh, around quality. And uh, we are talking to some uh, suppliers of uh, compounding materials. Uh, along those lines. So, you know, they they want to ensure that their uh, raw materials that they're dispensing to uh, compounding pharmacies are, are uh, of the highest uh, possible quality. And uh, we, we may very well be looking into those arenas as well. Uh, you know, we, we obviously don't offer compounding materials through our own pharmacy, but as part of efforts um, to help improve the overall situation, we're, we're very open to uh, working with uh, any members along the pharmaceutical supply chain or healthcare systems that are working on this um, from a, from a quality assurance uh, standpoint. Sure, yeah, and and I won't ask you to name names, but kind of going back to the Bottle of Lies book, um, the Cleveland Clinic. I think had a list of of manufacturers like on the good list and bad list. I, right. I just am curious if you've kind of noticed any patterns when you've been doing your batch testing uh, with certain, you know, is it just certain medications, certain manufacturers? What are you kind of seeing across the board? That's yeah, certainly a question we get a lot, and and uh, oftentimes it comes up of well. Do you also test brand? Like, why would you do that? And the answer is that we have no preconceived notions or biases. You know, we're very science first organization. And just because something is made in India and China doesn't automatically mean that it has problems. Uh, and obviously, just because something's made in America uh, doesn't mean that it's great or just because it has a brand. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, brands like Zantac were also recalled, not just the generic versions. You know that the problem, according to the the science that we saw, was it was fundamental to the entire product line. So uh, we we certainly test everything, and wh- part of uh, on on the the scientific side, part of actually the issues in having you know, really seeing big trends is uh, selection biases. You know, we buy from the distributors that we can buy from, and, and we have multiple mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. contracts with multiple distributors. But we're in Connecticut, we're in the Northeast, where you know what what you're seeing as part of a health system uh, or in a pharmacy in California versus Chicago versus Florida, you know, could be very different from each other. And uh, we actually might have a very interesting scenario around that around metformin. So you know, metformin has a dimethylamine group, uh, so kind of the, one of the Two primary components of NDMA, the carcinogen, um, is on the drug itself, and uh, you know something like ranitidine actually had both pieces, both the N and the DMA were right on it. So it turns out it could react with itself, and it's extremely unstable, which is uh, the reason that we thought it should be recalled entirely. 
And uh, but with metformin, uh, there's a lot of uh, potential pathways for how it could get contaminated with NDMA. And I think time will tell uh, in terms of root cause analysis and how this has all happened. But point is that um, yeah, this was concerning enough, and especially after Singapore originally recalled it, I think back in uh, December of, of uh, 2019, uh, the FDA looked into it also. And so they published data uh, in February, uh, and they analyzed seven different manufacturers and 16 lots um, and found no, no significant NDMA that was above the daily acceptable limits. Um, however, you know, there's, there's always going to be a selection bias, and uh, usually uh, how the FDA functions, it'll, it'll request samples. You know, in, in drugs, they request recalls. So it's always a voluntary recall because actually the FDA doesn't have the legal authority to have a mandatory recall of a drug. You know, one of the reasons that, you know, ranitidine wasn't taken off the market right away is that the FDA can't actually do that. But anyway, back to metformin is that uh, if, if they're just requesting these samples of, of metformin, then obviously a drug company can decide to just not give them a sample. Or if they're giving them a sample, then they've obviously decided which bottle and which lot they're going to give them um, and give some obvious issues and selection biases there. And when we at Valisher decided to, to do a deeper analysis of metformin and, and look into it, um, we were actually uh, tipped off to this by a, uh, an individual that had sent us samples of metformin uh, that they had. And so it was actually from a manufacturer that we hadn't tested before. And we found a very high levels of, of NDMA, well, well above 10 times the acceptable daily intake limit. And so we did a broad survey and of all the different manufacturers and lots that we could get uh, through our distributors at Valisher. And so it ended up being 22 different companies um, and 38 different lots. So definitely a wider net, but also one where we're not asking for a sample that is then provided direct from the manufacturer. We're taking it from the end suppliers, from the end distributors uh, so much more indicative of what a pharmacy would actually get with, of course, the selection bias of the particular distributors and, and contracts that we have at Valisher. And so the one, one step even further than that, uh, we also uh, announced a project to actually crowdsource um, this kind of, of uh, drug quality information. So we're telling individuals uh, that are willing to send samples of their own metformin medication that will do that analysis for free. So we, we've uh, had uh, you know, dozens and uh, over 100 uh, submissions already uh, where uh, people from all over the United States uh, can send us a sample of, of, uh, of this medication of metformin. And then hopefully we can really get an even more unbiased look at, at a real chemical snapshot of the quality of, of, uh, of metformin medication and uh, will be an interesting case study to really delve into that question of, you know, where do we see the bigger problems? Uh, where are the, the highest quality, lowest quality? And uh, try to address that in a more scientific manner. Interesting. And so going back to the the chemical structure, so are you saying that there are certain certain drugs just based on their chemical structure that might be more likely to have some type of carcinogenic uh, likelihood uh, rather than others to kind of like, I guess, narrow your search? 
Sure. So it's been brought up a lot. You know, you, you, you can't test for what you don't know. And yes, there's, you know, practically an infinite number of uh, potential carcinogens out there. And, you know, even, you know, Prop 65 in California, there's literally thousands and thousands of molecules that are considered carcinogens. Um, and obviously, we don't test for all of those, and it's not feasible to test for all of those for, you know, it's certainly in any routine basis. Um, however, uh, there are carcinogens uh, that are much more obvious than others to look for. And, you know, specifically the nitrosamines and, and uh, carcinogens like NDMA are one of the most studied and most potent carcinogens on the planet. I mean, they've been studied since the 1950s. And there was, in 1978, there was a World Health Organization and United Nations Summit on nitrosamines, nitrates and nitrites, uh, and all their carcinogenic potentials. And there's a whole section in there just about the formation of them from drugs. Um, and so this, this has been a well-known problem for a long time. The category of drugs, uh, of uh, nitrosatable drugs, so drugs with secondary amines or tertiary amines, uh, are well-known to form uh, nitrosamine carcinogens. And it's been in the academic literature for uh, practically five decades. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. So I think one of the unfortunate big problems and and what uh, the Zantac ranitidine issue really underscores is that there's just this disconnect between the pharmaceutical regulatory bubble and any other information. Um, and traditionally, all that other information was largely academic. So academics and you know, academic institutions, I mean, when ranitidine was first approved in 1981, the first studies that came out you know, suggesting that it might be carcinogenic, specifically because of the formation of NDMA, came out in 1982 and 1983. Um, and they've been coming out for decades since. And so I think what Valisher did that was that was unique is we, we added some some new pieces of information and the fact that it can actually react with itself to form NDMA, doesn't even just need to be in the stomach, um, was new. But really, we were connecting the dots of 40 years of research. And and not being satisfied with only submitting another scientific journal for pub uh, another scientific study for publication, uh, which is usually the end product in the academic world. And so we, we obviously we take this uh, you know, patient advocacy, consumer protection mission extremely seriously. And when we see these problems, um, you know, we, we feel that we need to force that conversation. Uh, into the pharmaceutical regulatory bubble. And, and the FDA citizen petition has been a particularly good vehicle for that. Um, so uh, th that that really is a big part, I think, of that disconnect. And, and there's a lot of this data out there of, uh, you know, to your question of, of where to look um, for for deeper analysis. And really what we've seen at Valisher is we've been kind of tripping over these big problems. And as we grow and expand and add more 
analytical capabilities uh, more and more, we'll, we'll start to focus in, in in areas where we guess there might be issues. And we actually already did that uh, once last year where, you know, in Valsartan, everybody was so, was so focused on NDMA and, and the specific nitrosamine carcinogens. But in that scenario, neither the N or the DMA is on the Valsartan drug. And so in the root cause analysis, they found that the solvent DMF dimethylformamide was was thought to be the cause of the of the uh, NDMA, and there is a DMA on this solvent, and the solvent itself is also a group two A carcinogen, like the same category of carcinogen as the nitrosamines, and so we looked for that. You know, good guess in terms of what else might be out there to look for, and we found in two thirds of all the batches that we analyzed, uh, some in extremely high levels, and we filed a petition on that. So. Long story short is absolutely there are areas that are more uh, scientifically important to look into than others. And uh, obviously, we can't look for everything, um, but uh, we're going to continue to take a close look in areas of concern. Awesome. Well, David, switching gears a little bit, you know, we've talked a lot about pharmaceutical products, but we often hear a lot of uh, variation uh, in terms of over-the-counter and vitamins, uh, supplements, um, because those are not regulated by the FDA. It's even more of the wild, wild west out there. You know, the the USP, United States Pharmacopeia, does have certain guidelines and things, but have you guys evaluated uh, any, any of that section of the marketplace, or do you have plans to do that in the future? Absolutely. And actually, one of the first studies that we ever did um, was on uh, one of the most popular over-the-counter pain medications, acetaminophen, um, mm. and you know, brand Tylenol products. And uh, when we were just setting up our lab and, and adding uh, the dissolution uh, capability, so uh, analyzing for how a pill actually dissolves, um, we were buying a lot of over-the-counter products um, just to kind of help calibrate the machinery and make sure that we're setting everything up properly. And um, it was uh, when looking at rapid-release uh, products, so there's a whole line of over-the-counter, especially in acetaminophen um, products that, that claim rapid-release in, in the marketing materials. And we found it very odd that every time we looked at something rapid-release, it was dissolving slower than the standard ones. <laughs> And, you know, obviously we, we did a lot of validations on an instrumentation and realized that it's not at all an issue with the instrumentation. There's something related to the product itself. And so we, we actually uh, did a pretty deep study with over a thousand tablets and analysis where we, we looked at a, a variety of different drug products and, and rapid release versus standard. And we found that uh, the data was extremely clear that on average, uh, the rapid release versions, which are more expensive, uh, actually release slower than than the standard release uh, sedimentin tablet. And so that that got published. It was featured in the Washington Post, and uh, it's absolutely an area that that could have issues. And whether it's an over the counter drug product um, or a supplement, I think there's obviously been a lot of other studies in supplements that there could be huge variabilities and issues. But even with over the counter drug products. Uh, obviously, can definitely be issues as well, and that's something that we do analyze at Valisher, and we'll continue to do so. 
Awesome. Very helpful. Well, this has been a very enlightening discussion for sure, David. And and one thing that I that I do like to ask all of my guests is is what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their careers? Well, I would definitely say that for for all of those getting started, um, to uh, consider taking some risks uh, and and consider the, the entrepreneurial and startup worlds. Yeah, I think more and more these days, uh, people just get out of college and, and go right to these large uh, organizations. And not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but I think there's there's a lot of uh, value, especially in for people young in their career uh, to hey, take a little bit of risk. Um, you know, you likely don't have a mortgage and kids and, and all these things that, uh, that start to factor in uh, later in life. And there's just so much value that you can get out of working in a, in a small, nimble kind of startup organizations where you can wear a lot of hats. You have all sorts of problems you have to tackle all the time. And, uh, you know, the pace is very fast. It's a lot of work. But it could also be extremely rewarding. You know, you really get to build something and have a lot of direct impact, um, as opposed to being, you know, a smaller part of, of a larger system. So I think, especially for for those that are excited about the fields that they're in and want to have an impact and, and learn a lot about it, I highly encourage uh, the, the entrepreneurial world for those folks. Excellent. Such great advice. Definitely uh, good to take risks and and better to take those earlier in your career and just about, you know, ways that you can make an impact being at a more small and nimble company. Well, David, it has been such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the show. Where can people find you and Valisher? Sure. It's, uh, we're at valisher.com, uh, V-A-L-I-S-U-R-E. Um, and uh, people could also find me on, on LinkedIn pretty easily, uh, David Light, uh, L-I-G-H-T, and uh, fairly active there. And definitely happy to connect with uh, those in, in the healthcare world or anybody uh, engaged in uh, quality and medications. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you have other questions about drug recalls or safety, or if you want to share any of the things that you learned, if you've read either the Bottle of Lies or China Rx books or any other books that talk about some of these things that we're talking about in this let us know at Talk to Your Pharmacist on our Instagram and Facebook page. And be sure to send us a message there. And if you are seeing any pharmacist heroes out during the COVID crisis, be sure to tag at Talk to Your Pharmacist. We are highlighting those stories on our Instagram and Facebook page. Just tag at Talk to Your Pharmacist or use the hashtag pharmacist heroes. One final thing, the APHA elections are going on. So if you are a member and part of the APPM group, then please look for me. I'm on the ballot this year running for APPM executive committee and would appreciate your vote. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.